So it's not so much about the technology. It's about the system that you create for yourself to engage with these changing technologies because the convergence of these technologies is only beginning today. It's only starting. So the weirdness of what's going to happen over the next five, seven, eight, ten 10 years is going to be super weird for all of us. It's not just you. And so our approach to it, the thinking about your thinking, becomes by far the most important thing that we could be focusing in on. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization and to another special March Madness event. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the leading voice on the future of work that's confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. This episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our partner, Y Institute. You heard, just heard from them. Your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. For me, today is like Christmas in March. In fact, we woke up to about two inches of snow in front of our house. But that's how good John Sinead uh, is and how honored we are that he carved out some time for us. Uh, I first was introduced to John uh, in the spring, maybe, of 2020, right when we went into lockdown. Uh, John posted a video on LinkedIn uh, that caught my attention, and has he's done so ever since. Uh, he explained to me, or to all of us, that it wasn't the pandemic that made us panic, but it was our own addiction to certainty. And for those of you who followed me, you know I've been talking about an addiction to certainty a certainty ever since. Well, as it turned out, COVID-19 confiscated our perspective of steadiness and clarity and predictability and trashed it right before our eyes. It just burned it up. And from that moment on, John got my attention and he's kept it ever since. So I reached out to John just a few weeks ago uh, after he posted something about ChatGPT. And by the way, I highly recommend that you go seek out him on LinkedIn. He's, he's very, very active. He's got great stuff every single day. Just listen to one from today as well. But he posted a short video on ChatGPT. I immediately reached out to him. Hadn't, uh, we hadn't talked in about two years or so, although we you know, follow each other. Uh, he accepted and here he is. But there's one last thing uh, before I shut up and give Jason a, a chance to speak. And then we're going to bring John on to the, the Geek Skeezers and Googleization stage. Uh, about two years ago, John offered a workshop. And I just want to share how, how good I think John is because there's not many. I don't know if, if we were running this at, in the middle of the night, whether how many people we'd have on Jason. Um, but about two years ago, John offered a workshop on how we should prepare the world for the for the post-pandemic world and for the future of work. It ran for five consecutive nights. But here's the thing. John was locked down in South Africa, which means his workshops were scheduled at 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S. I'm not sure how many of you would sign up for a workshop scheduled in those wee hours in the morning, but John is that good that I didn't miss one night. 
and here he is today. Absolutely. And I couldn't describe it better than what you just shared, Ira, Christmas in March. And we're so lucky to have him with us today. And we're going to address the big, hairy, extinct elephant in the room that is the woolly mammoth. You're probably wondering, what the heck is he talking about? Well, there's some really freaky cool stuff that's about to happen just in the next four years. The woolly mammoth, yes, the one that's been extinct for over 4,000 years, it's making a comeback. Uh, there are a group of scientists and investors at a biotech company in Dallas called Colossal, and they said there will be a woolly mammoth by 2027. Through gene editing, they're going to create the woolly mammoth embryo. They're going to place it in an African elephant to be birthed with the long-term goal. Listen to this. The long-term goal of this is to repopulate the Arctic with them, to strengthen local plant life with the migration patterns and dietary habits of the beasts. So while we probably aren't going to spend most of our time today on stuff out of Jurassic Park, I share that because it puts us in the right mindset to understand that things are changing faster than ever before. And what once seemed like science fiction in the past is now becoming science in this ever-changing world that we live in. Who is John Sinai? He describes himself as a future strategist. He's a five times best-selling author, Singularity University and Duke CE faculty member, associate partner at the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, chief of tomorrow board member, and podcaster at The Expansive. So, without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to the one and only John Sinai. Such warm introductions. Half of me is like, wow. I'm also keen to meet this person. And the other half of me is cringing. I'm like, oh my God, this is going on for so long. It's like, it's so long. But anyway, wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. John, it, it's been a while, as we said, and, uh, and, and you're so you know, gracious with your time and uh, can't wait to dive into this. And obviously there's a lot of people on, you know, watching and commenting already. So the anticipation is, is, is building. Let's take a step back uh, just a second. We're, what we're going to talk about is when you, you did that video on ChatGPT, the one question that you sort of started out with was everybody was talking about it. You're in the airport, you're in buildings, you're at restaurants, you're having coffee. Everybody's talking about ChatGPT. And you kind of took the step back, as you usually do, and said, hey, what are we going to do about this now? Uh, we're going to get to that question. But first, how did you, you know, you've had an interesting journey. I mean, you know, when you were a young man, uh, you didn't necessarily say, I'm going to come up and be a futurist. I'm going to be a future strategist. I know you don't like the futurist yeah, yeah. term, but future strategist. Yeah. How did this transition happen? Well, it's a great question. I, I mean, I think when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be successful and an entrepreneur. I come from a single mom family. And so financial uh, sort of uh, uh, kudos was important for me. And so I worked really, really hard from a very young age to achieve that. And I did really, really well. Uh, by the time I was 25, I had multiple businesses. I was doing really, really well at all the trappings of money. And then at 31, I went bankrupt and I lost everything. And that's really where the, the journey began is that I had to dive deep into my psyche and my psychology and to start to understand what had happened. And then also started to realize that I've actually always been an early adopter from a very, very young age. And I've written about this skill that I don't even know where it comes from is that I've been able to decipher the future and extrapolate current technologies into the future somehow just the way I've been built. And so I combine this sort of futuristic thinking that's innate in me 
together with the psychology and neuroscience of human beings. And it's put me in a unique position because I think you get psychologists and motivators and inspirers, but they're hardly ever futurists because the futurists are talking about the future. But I often think that the combination is necessary because it's not so much about the future. It's much more about the preparation for the future. And as human beings, we haven't been wired for this incredible amount of disruption and uncertainty ahead of us. So the combination has been somehow instilled in me and, and quite natural that's come up. I've never studied. Uh, I say this. I lecture at a bunch of different universities around the world. I counting the other day, I've lectured at 14 universities around the world. And my opening remarks always is, I've never been to university. And I hardly passed high school. So this has all been self-taught and, and quite intuitive. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And, and obviously, you're quite good at it. And, and, and we're going to talk about purpose later. Well, you heard in the beginning, we talked about, you know, following your purpose. And you, you obviously uncovered that and discovered that. Let's go back to that other question, how this whole, how our whole thing started is, you know, what are we going to do now? I mean, you know, so we got this GPT thing, uh, robots are, are taking over our lives, you know, this whole conversations about plagiarism. I mean, you know, this is the, this is the fear. This is the AI apocalypse uh, that we called it. This is the fear that everybody had. All of a sudden is AI is going to be doing our jobs. So what are we going to be able to do now? Well, it's a great question, and I think it's a worldwide was your problem. Question, that, by the way. <laughs> yes, well, that was my question. Maybe that's why I said it was such a great question. Yes. So, great question, John. Thanks for asking it. No. So, I think the thing is this: let's let's zoom out, right, and let's think about how many times this has happened to us as human beings. And this is not the first rodeo that any of us have been on. Our ancestors have been on many of these rodeos. And the analogy that I always use, or the storyline I always use, is. Uh, in agricultural times for 10,000 years, the rules were quite simple for us as human beings. The rules were follow the forefathers, follow the seasons, and work the fields for 12 hours a day, depending on harvest or not. And for 10,000 years, that's 500 generations plus minus, we were happy to do that and follow that process. The most important thing we had as human beings was PQ, physical quotient. And so today, what we realize is that when 200 years ago, the steam engine arrived and the factories arrived, our physicality became irrelevant. It doesn't matter how strong you were and how you could work the fields. You now have to develop a new skill called IQ. And so the rules changed from follow your forefathers to follow the system. And the system is education, university, and organizations. The better you followed the system, the more successful you've become, the more analytical you were in your thinking, the higher your IQ and knowledge were, the more successful you'd be. And for 200 years, this has really done well for us. But now that AI is arriving, we realize that the skills we once had and prioritized are becoming irrelevant. And so the panic is not so much about AI. The panic is about the inability to develop new skills. The, your, our brains are going into overdrive to confirm the fact that we don't want to change because our brains don't want to change. I don't know if you know the stat, but science has proven in the last few years that we have between 60 and 70,000 thoughts a day, of which 90% are the same thoughts, meaning that our brains are familiarity machines. And when something like this comes that is so drastic, which means that you have to actually change the hardware inside your head because that's what we did from PQ to IQ. And as we now move to AQ, which is awareness and adaptability quotient, we need different parts of our brains to wake up and other parts of our brains that we prized for so long to quieten down. So the panic is not AI. The panic is change. 
and people don't know how to change. And so if we were given the tools, the ability to practice change, to prioritize awareness and adaptability, and we'll get into the understandings of what those are and what their practical applications are, we'll realize that AI is just another tool that we have at our disposal. And also, I'm very keen not to call it an apocalyptic AI scenario, but a roadmap and a sort of incredible rise of technological um, intelligence that's around us that we need to embrace and work with. And if you're fearful of it, you've already started on the wrong foot. And John, with that, what are some of the, the innovative ways you're already seeing out of the box? I mean, it's only kind of been open source since November is when it launched, right? Um, so what are some of the innovative ways you're already seeing it being brought into work or different aspects of our lives? Well, I think, you know, there's multiple different ways that we're seeing it. I've seen it work on Excel spreadsheets. I've obviously seen it in copywriting. But most importantly, we're starting to see it pass exams like the medical exam, the law exam, and the MBA. And that's really what we need to be thinking about is that beside it affecting our jobs right now, we have to really start to reskill the way we bring value to the world. And so, yes, we've got mid-journey and we've got Dale creating pictures and soon we'll be making movies and we've got ChatGPT4 coming that will start to make even better movie scripts that you can feed into MidJourney and Dale 3 that will make us movies. These things are just extrapolating ahead of us. And over the next two to three years, it's going to be mind-boggling how much of it of our work that's going to be taking away. So again, the cutting edge right now is nothing, nothing even to think about up until the real cutting edge stuff starts to arrive and we start to converge these things over the next four or five years. And what we have to start doing as quickly as possible is not try to keep fixing the software inside our heads, but start to understand the hardware and how we need to change the hardware that is our brains to deal with this level of intelligence that we've never really had around us and how to deal with it. And with that, John, Ray Kurtzwill is one of my favorite uh, folks to read also in his Laws of Accelerating Change. He was predicting that by 2050, that one single computer would have the computational capacity of all of mankind combined. And that just absolutely blows my mind to, to think about that because that's not too far away. Um, but with, with that, are there ways, because we're also entering into Web3, Right, this this whole concept of decentralization of a lot of things. How is Chat GPT helping usher in um, or influencing this wave of Web three now as well in terms of how we think about our software solutions that we use? So let me just uh, there's a couple the couple points I want to make on there. First one with Ray Kurzweil talking about being smarter than all of humankind. Two things I want to say on that. I think Ray Kurzweil readjusted that date recently. He brought it forward. I don't know if you saw, but he was in an interview and he thought it might actually be coming into the early 2030s. But that's besides that. We've all heard the fact that we use 10 to 11% of our brains, they say, according to certain statistics, which means that the replacement of human beings is of that 10%. Now, let's again zoom out and realize when there was agricultural times, 98% of the human population were farming. Today, 1.7% of the human population farm, which means that the tools, the skills, the brain capacity we had as agricultural people got totally replaced. And so when we think about job replacement and the fact that computers would be smarter than humankind in our current form, 
we are not putting into that equation that we should be evolving and elevating our consciousness to be able to evolve past this rudimentary sort of staple that all of us have actually been indoctrinated into and baked into the educational system. So what's happened throughout the world, we've all been learning the same textbooks, the same rules, the same accounting, the same, which means that we've all kind of been programmed to the same sort of quite one-dimensional technological or, or sector-driven thinking. We actually haven't been given the opportunity to access our genius, to access our unique superpowers that all of us have, but education never celebrated them. Organizations never celebrated them. So we have untapped genius that none of us are actually taking into the account, and we're thinking that we're all going to be linear in fashion, and in that way, computers will replace us. Yes, and they should replace us because what we're doing right now is replaceable. To come to your second question, ChatGPT, again, is this tool that's fast-tracking everything around us. It's not just Web3. It's not just books. It's not just movie scripts. It's not diet. It's everything. So as we start to move into Web3, and I think the genius of Web3 for me is the decentralization of it, which again is such an exciting thing to think about when you start to think about the, the rise of the feminine consciousness and the death of the patriarchy. And if you think about how this is actually such a fantastic uh, reflection point because Web2 was all top-down, masculine. I'm the boss. Everybody else listens to me. And I make all the money. Nobody else makes money. As we move into Web3, what do we got? We've got the blockchain, the decentralization, your way you get into these platforms are through your wallet. Why? Because you need to own some of the things that you're creating. Now it's transparent. It's balanced. It's, it's, it's uh, shared. And now we start to move in a much more human way and a much more feminine way that we're starting to evolve. So again, ChatGPT is boosting everything ahead of us. And it's not just ChatGPT. I mean, we're going to have a myriad of new AI platforms around us that are going to be making everything around us simpler, faster, and better. And many people are fearful of this. And again, I'll reiterate, it's not the AI that you're fearful of. You are fearful of your inability to change quick enough. And if you start to just focus on that, you'll become excited about these changes. Well, you convinced us, um, but there's obviously there's there's billions of people on the planet that are, are still going to be concerned. So I, one of the things that and again, sometimes it's, you know, try to explain things in metaphors or analogies. We're all old, well, Jason is almost old enough to remember uh, Mosaic and Netscape. So we had this thing called the Internet for 25, 30 years. And, you know, I remember knowing the very basics of DOS, being able to go on trying to connect to the Internet. And then all of a sudden, Mosaic shows up and then Netscape, and it put it put the internet in our hands. And this is the same conversation we had in the late in the mid '80s, is how scary and late '80s how scary this was going to be. And then AOL comes out and puts it really turns it mainstream and gives everybody a way to have immediate access. Um, and that's how I'm viewing you know ChatGPT is really just that Mosaic Netscape AOL of 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 ai and, and machine learning am, am i am i right i mean is this is this what you're seeing so, is this just an evolution of that uh, absolutely i uh, just want to just get us to think about how technology actually works uh, for us in our age groups um, anything that is on earth when you are born to 15 years old is normal 
And when I ask people in my audiences, so is electricity normal? They're like, obvious. Yeah, I mean, electricity, it's, it's, it's always been there. No, no, it hasn't always been there. So it's only 100 years old. And so zero to 15, we think it's normal. Anything that's invented between 15 and 35, you'll make a career out of. So maybe people in our lives became engineers, accountants, lawyers, because that was what was available to us at that 15 to 35. And then anything that's invented past 35 is weird. That stuff's not for me. That stuff's weird. We don't want to engage with it. And so I'd ask my audience as always, how many of your kids want to be influencers? And all the parents put their pans up and they scoff at the fact that their kids want to be influencers. But I'm like, it's just because you don't understand it. You don't understand that the creator economy is worth $100 billion and growing. Your kids don't want to fit into the same box as you did, which you are fitting into and unhappy in. So why would they want to follow the box that you're in? But because you don't understand it. So yes, this is just an evolution. It's a faster evolution, granted. There's a convergence of technologies, granted. There's the ending of economic cycles that are, we're going through right now where we're seeing the dollar falter. We're starting to see cryptos come. We're also seeing the end of the patriarchy in many ways. We're starting to see the end of the religious era, which is we're starting to see the fastest growing religion in the world. There's no religion. We, there's so many things that are ending cycles that are finishing and so it's the convergence of all these cycles that are finishing plus the fact that technology is moving it's at hyper pace plus our political systems don't work anymore so this democracy you guys in the states in europe it just doesn't work you can't do it for four years no ceo can run a business for four years now you're asking to run a country for four years so there's not just this specific evolution of technology that we are being stressed by it's the continuous mammothness of the amount of change that we're going through. And AI is just adding to it and to this evolution. And I love that you said mammothness there, uh, John, you know, back <laughs> yes. to talking about the woolly mammoths <laughs> making the comeback the, here. <laughs> you're right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, there, there are naysayers out there that, that have concerns where they're saying, well, look already at ChatGPT and the open source AI. Um, Bard, um, which already kind of messed up a little bit in terms of showing how biased um, and defensive it got. Um, when things were being pointed out to it, folks that are that are worried about those things, I, I often respond and say, is it any different than chatting with a human being that's dug in their heels and they refuse uh, to be adaptable and unlearn things that they thought they knew? But setting that aside, when you think about the future, is there any merit to concerns around artificial intelligence becoming sentient or being jealous of humans and wanting to be human? Is there any legitimate concern around that from your perspective? So the answer is yes. Um, and I don't think any of us know in any specific way, but I want to zoom out again because I think it's always good to take a, 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 an ego viewpoint and then come into the subject itself. And I'm going to go into a bit of neuroscience here. So I want to explain why people find faults with things that they feel are threatening because that in itself shows us where that person's coming from. So I've been studying neuroscience for the last three years. And the reason I've been studying neuroscience is that when I started my career 15 years ago, I spoke about all technological wondrous things that were coming. Uh, everything from flying taxis to the blockchain and how it was going to change society as we know it. And when I would leave conferences, Jason, people would be more scared and anxious than they were when they, before they arrived, <laughs> which, which was defeating the object because I was excited about it, but 
many people in the audience were not excited about it, right? And I found this weird because I naturally found it exciting, but they didn't. So I started diving into psychology and I started to think about what is it that keeps people stuck inside their trauma and inside their fear and makes them go into survival mode. And then whatever new out there is scary. And I did this. I wrote three books on psychology and the future. And you know what? It didn't really help. Because who here on this call hasn't read all the psychological books? Who hasn't been to therapy? Who hasn't done all the things you should be doing but still suffers from anxiousness, frustration, fearful of the future, and maybe has some addictions as well? So that means that the psychological process doesn't work, which it used to work. Now it's working less and less because things are changing so quickly. And the fact of just knowing what the future looks like also doesn't help you actually prepare for it. So we have to dive deeper. And what I've started to realize is that psychology is software and neuroscience is hardware. And what we've been trying to do is change our software in an old cell phone. So we got iPhone 1 and we're trying to update the software to iOS 25 and it's just not gripping. Why? It doesn't have the capacity. It doesn't have the, 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 the actual hardware to want to figure out uncertainty. And so we have to dive into neuroscience and to understand what's going on inside our brains that we are fearful of something that's the unknown. And I think I've found the answer. And here's what it is, is that we have five brain waves uh, as human beings and two that when we have when we're awake. And what has happened over the last 200 years is that we've been addicted to a brain wave called a high beta brain wave. And what a high beta brain wave is, is a brain wave that says I'm highly focused on an outcome. I think I'm in danger. And I'm fueled by anxiousness and adrenaline. And this has been brought into our lives based on education and because of the organizational structures. Why? Because in education, you're always stressing about some test or some exam, which puts you on edge. Then at the workspace, you have some quarterly profits or deadlines that you're running away or running towards, which puts you on edge. And so you're constantly on edge. And we can see that the human population is on edge because the pharmaceutical industry has tripled in value over the last 10 years. Why? Because people are medicating away their anxiousness. And then you get people that are wine connoisseurs, which are really just alcoholics that are fancy, that are wanting to numb the pain that they're going through. And so we have all these stories that we want to bring about that just wants to give our brain a relaxation. Now, in the Industrial Revolution, and when things were stable, when things weren't moving so quickly, the focus on outcome and being focused on being analytical worked for us. It did. For 200 years, we did. We were fine doing that process. Our brain computing at that level was no problem. But now that we're in this new era, we need to understand that the brain waves that we've been baked into us need to change. And the brain wave that we need to move into is called a low beta high alpha. And a low beta high alpha is you have experienced it when you come back from holiday. When you come back from holiday, the first two days when you come back from holiday, what are you doing? You're making lists of the things that you should do. You broad in your thinking. You're lateral, you're creative, you're imaginative. The people that used to bother you when you went on holiday, that muppet at work or that person out there or your wife or your husband, they don't really bother you. You're like, yeah, okay, they can get on with it. But I've got all the space inside my head that gives me the opportunity to think. Now, I'm going to give you one line or two lines that are going to bring this home. The one is from Alvin Toffler. He says, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be the ones who cannot read and cannot write, but will be the ones who cannot unlearn to relearn. 
So I'll ask you this question. How do you unlearn? And most people don't know because we, we see it as just the term unlearn, but nobody knows actually how to unlearn. And then we have Einstein who says, you cannot solve the problem from the same energy that created it. So now, let's take those two quotes and let's understand that when people are highly baked into a high beta brainwave focused on survival with their bodies full of adrenaline, they will find problems with AI. They will find problems with technology. They will look for issues everywhere because in their brain, they're in survival mode. Now, there's only two ways that science has proven for us to go through the process of unlearning. And this is what we all have to do, because if you don't unlearn, you will continue to be anxious, frustrated, angry, and irritated with technology in the future. And you will find friends around you that will have be on the same brainwaves that you'll all band together and be angry with change rather than being curious, excited, and fascinated to look for new solutions. And so what we have to think about is what is it to unlearn? And so I'm going to go back again and explain that by the time we're 35 years old, we have between 60 and 70,000 thoughts a day, of which 90% are the same, which means that our brains have been concrified into our values, belief systems, and our personalities. And so now what happens is we are concrified into stress and into anxiousness without even realizing it. We think it's normal to have our leg tapping up and down and not sleeping well and having to take sleeping tablets. It's not normal. It's what's been baked into us. And so what we have to think about is unlearning is your brain relaxing its highways and building new ones. And in the state of building new ones, AI and ChatGPT become very exciting. The technology that's ahead of us becomes very exciting. You're quite comfortable to let go of your old self to develop this new personality in front of you. So what makes your personality is how you think, act, and feel. And if you don't change how you think, act, and feel, you'll continue to be stressed about this future that's unknown. But the minute you move into alpha brainwave, now, all of a sudden, you become excited about the unknown. You become creative. You become imaginative. And you now start to apply yourself in a totally different way. So there's two ways that we unlearn. One, meditation. And most people will say, well, I can't meditate. It's not for me because my brain is too busy. What you're actually saying is I'm addicted to a high beta brainwave. And as an adult, I can't be quiet for 10 minutes, which is a scary thing to think about. And two, psychedelics. Psychedelics and meditation under a brain scan do the exact same thing to your brains. They relax it. And as you start to relax it, you can start to upgrade it. And so as human beings, my focus has now become how do we change our hardware to prepare for AI? Because if you don't change your hardware, you won't be prepared for AI and you won't like it. And John, I mean, just listening to you speak there, I'm like, can, can we have you be president of the United States? Like, that's the kind of leadership <laughs> we need about advancing into the future and preparing for it. And just to echo your sentiment there, you know, so many times for the folks who are scared of AI, think about it this way, though, like you're suggesting, it has the capability to eradicate cancer, to help us finally get to the solution that solves some of these wretched diseases that have ruined the lives of so many people that we've loved over the years. And those are the things that we need to focus on and that we need to build toward are those fascinating futures that you referenced there. Um one of the other the questions that, that I kind of wanted to get into with you is um, in the area of quantum science also. So I recently <laughs> went to go see Quantum Mania um, with Ant-Man. Yes. Um, and yes. just fascinating How to think it? about things on that level. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. It was really good. It brings yeah. in the whole time travel yeah. component. And we won't go right. into that wormhole 
uh, no, no pun right. intended, but, but when we think about what the world of quantum science is going to be able to do, we've had several people um, in the comment here ask about what does this mean for healthcare? Are there some things on quantum level in terms of how we treat diseases or how we upgrade our, our software and our hardware that are coming through quantum science that might be able to help us become more adaptable? Yes, yes very good question. Um, I'm going to go back to Einstein. Einstein says very famously, the future of medicine will be the medicine of frequency. And go look that up. Because when I first heard that, I was like, Einstein said that? But Einstein understood quantum, right? You know, Einstein, what he used to do? He used to do something called slow motion multitasking. He used to move from one project to another, exhaust himself in one project, sit in front of the fire, put himself into high alpha, high, no, low alpha, high theta brainwave, and he would rock himself in front of the fire and keep his eyes open and all that genius would pop into him because he understood brainwaves and he understood frequency and he would get a lot of his ideas in that half awake, half asleep state that many of us don't understand or even know how to access in today's world. So look that up. But Einstein says the future of medicine is the medicine of frequency. So let's understand what frequency is because quantum science is now starting to prove to us and show us what, quantum, what frequency is. So let me give you just a, a layman's terms example. If you meet somebody that you don't like, you will comment to your wife or your husband, I don't really like them. They've got low energy. What you're actually saying is their low energy is a low frequency. Their frequency doesn't link with you and you don't like their frequency. It's like listening to a radio station you don't like or music you don't like. The energy is just not, it's not linking with you. And then you'll meet somebody that you really like and you really enjoy. And you'll say to your wife or your husband, I really love that hanging out with that person. I feel possibility. I feel confidence. I feel safe. I feel, I think anything's available to me when I'm with that person. And what you're actually commenting is I like their frequency. They've got a higher energy source that I like and I want to be, a, I want to be around. Okay. So we've got those two ideas, but I want to give you a personal story to, to land this is that, from two years ago, I decided to start meditating quite heavily. I now meditate two, three hours a day when I wake up and when I sleep. And what I've learned is that when you meditate, you get this opportunity to increase your frequency because what you're doing is you're making your brain more malleable. You're not being stuck into who you were. You're evolving to who you need to become in the process of this practice of brain gym is what I call it. And as you start going through this process, you start to change your frequency. And this is the most amazing thing is that all sicknesses, all relationship issues, all money issues, all diseases are linked to a frequency. That frequency has been something that you've been imprinting onto our quantum fields of I'm not worthy enough. I'm angry. I haven't forgiven somebody. I'm upset with the world. I'm a victim of the world. Um, you can have all these internal dialogues that imprint the quantum field around us that keep us stuck in a frequency that creates, creates dis-ease. And in that dis-ease, our body shows up as a representation of that low frequency. Now, when you start to change your frequency, guess what starts to happen? is that those diseases fall off you because those diseases aren't linked to the frequency that you're evolving into. They were linked to the frequency that you were. So I'll give you four examples of me because I started off 2022 not speaking to my dad for 20 years, not speaking to my brother for four years, being addicted to marijuana for 20 years secretly, secretly, and eating sugar every night, obviously after I smoked my marijuana because that's what happens. And so after, when I started the year, I decided to really focusing on my meditation. I did four 
seven-day meditation retreats last year. I meditated two, three hours a day. And by July, I had spoken to my dad for the first time and now very good friends with him. Spoken to my brother for the first time in four years. Stopped smoking marijuana and don't eat sugar. And I started off the year with zero of those intentions. It was not part of what I wanted. I was quite happily angry with my dad and quite happily smoking marijuana in secret. And what we realize is that all sicknesses are linked to these frequencies. And as human beings, our software is dated. And so what we do is we take medication, but not free change our frequency. And my last book I wrote called, Who Do We Become? And the reason I called it that is most people are complaining about the future, not asking the question, how do I evolve and elevate to meet this future at what it needs from me? And John, that absolutely I mean, you went above and beyond in terms of answering that question. And it makes me think about Neuralink, too, with what uh, Elon Musk and, and, and some other entrepreneurs are working on in terms of that. Do, do you foresee a future where we may have certain types of technological components that may become part of our biology that assist with some of this? Absolutely. Uh, I do think so. We have our cell phones and computers now that we can't live without. They're, they're quite rudimentary in the way we access them through our thumbs the worst uh, fingers that we have, and we have to try and get those little buttons with fingers, which in five years will be absolutely ridiculous that we actually ever did that. So technology is becoming more and more part of our lives, just like electricity is. And most people say, no, I don't want any technology around me. It's too much. But then I say, well, do you use electricity all the time? They're like, yeah. I said, well, that was a technology 100 years ago, but you're used to that one. So this one will, again, slowly but surely start to evolve into us. And Neuralink or the likes, uh, I think it's still early. Uh, I wouldn't be jumping in straight away to try it myself. But uh, I do think that there's obviously uh, the convergence of the technologies, nanotechnologies, and all these things are obvious and how they're going to be coming to evolve us and help us. John, going back just for a second to a, like ChatGPT uh, or any of the other you know variety of tools that that have just arrived, what, is there anything in particular you've done that's like super interesting uh, with them? Um, you know, anything that you discovered in it that opened up some uh, new pathways for you? Well, firstly, I reduced my staff, <laughs> the number of employees I had, which is which is just indicative of what's going on because actually ChatGPT does a better job for me for $20 a month. And I, I helped the people that I moved to find other jobs in other ways and also help them to actually educate themselves in new ways. So that was the first thing. It changed my team quite quickly. The second thing I decided to do was not write another book. I was about to write my 10th book and I just realized that if we take the extrapolation of ChatGPT, it feels like the same thing that happened to CD shops and DVD shops is going to happen to bookshops. And we never foresee, foresaw the fact that the video shops will disappear or music shops will disappear, but we don't have any of them around us at all. And now it's obvious because we've got the Spotify's of the world. So I do think books are going that way. I, I do feel a bit sad because I do want to write another book. And because now I've got ChatGPT, I said to ChatGPT the other day, I wrote in it, I said, Look, I want to write a book um, called There Is No Future. Uh, that's what the title of the book is. I gave it a bit of a byline. And then I said, what 10 chapters should I write about? I mean, I've become so lazy already. Now I'm asking it to give me the chapters that I want to write about that, that I, I've already like fitted into this. So I don't think I've done anything unique. What I have also told people on my podcast is, there were no social media specialists at the turn of the 20th century. The people that became the social media specialists were the ones who started to self-teach self themselves. 
And this is the time for you to start teaching this so that you get one step ahead. You start understanding Web3. You start understanding AI. And so for me, it's about how do you utilize it in as many ways as possible. And so in my own unique way, I changed my teams. I've started to think about writing another book, but then getting help from it. Um, while we still have bookshops and seeing that it might actually make an impact in some way. It's so interesting that you brought up uh, about social media, that the, that we didn't have social media managers because we didn't have social media. And for the longest time, people were just resisting it. Now everybody's looking for one. Uh, and, and certainly not everybody has the skills just because you have the title. Uh, but Burning Glass Institute, a good friend of ours, uh, and uh, Wiley and uh, a third organization just released a white paper. It was called Disruption. It was about disruption of skills, the disruption gap. And they identified the four fastest growing high in demand roles. So AI and, and machine learning is one. Uh, cloud computing was a second. Product management was a third. And you say, oh, yeah, I get that. That's all technology. The fourth, social media manager. Wow. Is, <laughs> there you go. I mean, so they're, they're talking AI and social media manager. Yeah. At the same time, yeah, yeah, the skills yeah, and the a, disruption yeah. gap. Yeah. 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 I mean, could you just imagine? I mean, because I, in in tw in 2007, I happened to move, and at the same time, the, the the economy crashed, and so the location I moved, nobody was hire, you know, buying testing, pre-employment testing, leadership testing. Nobody was doing team building. Nobody cared. But everybody was sort of on the the Twitter, Facebook trend. It was like, what is this thing? So I started to teach a little bit about. Uh, to the com local community colleges, the Chamber of Commerce, sort of built my own little niche of talking about how this was going to be used. And everybody sat in the room in the back and, you know, uh, my <laughs> yeah. kids do that. I'm not going to touch it. And, you know, yeah, here we are yeah. 15, 16 years later and there's careers. I mean, people are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes seven figure salaries, you know, based on just helping people with social media. So, you know, that's that job destruction, job creation. Uh, I was going to ask you if, if the people that you helped, uh, you, your former employees, if you helped them find new careers, if you use ChatGPT to help them do that, uh, you know, and, and that would be a strategy. But, you know, my, my granddaughter um, was struggling in a, in a class and, you know, there was difficult concept. Um, I knew some basics, but, uh, but she was really struggling and she had a tough time finding a tutor. And I introduced her to ChatGPT. And we put in questions like, can you define, how would you describe Weber's law to a 10-year-old? And just like that, it spits out a description and go, okay, I got it. You know, so it's, it's you, know, from tutor, you know, it's from from an everyday basis, it's, it's on a tutor. And I know there was a question in the chat that said, but it's outdated information. Well, it is. I mean, if you're going to ask a question about what's happening today, it's not going to do it because the the, the, the GPT-3, I think, is up through the early part of 2022. So, you know, it's about a year, maybe 15 months dated in that material. And it'll tell you that. If you ask a current question, it'll tell you that. But the reality is there's a lot of information that's out there that we haven't consumed. I mean, there's no possible way. It goes back to uh, like IBM Watson. When IBM Watson came out and they go, oh, you know, it's so scary. I don't want to, I don't want a, a computer diagnosing me. I need a doctor. Well, a doctor can't read 8,000 journals a week to keep up with the latest trends and peer-reviewed stuff, but you can do it in a split second and then use your human judgment um, to be able to do that, which goes, which goes back to, I think your most recent post. It wasn't about AI, it wasn't about neuroscience, it wasn't about technology. Um, it was about leadership style. 
And I had a laugh because oh, yes. it's like he's yeah. talking about, uh, you know, how to identify the person you're talking to, which is about a human, right. which is should be our role. Yeah. And everybody ignored it. Yes. But I got I started yeah. my career. I mean, I used it as a tool, but I literally changed a career to focus on a set employee assessments, helping him improve. But the basis of that I was remember. DISC, you know, D, the DISC model. And what is that is how to recognize other people's style based on the words they use, their body language, their tone, right. their pace, their frequency. And all of a sudden, here's the here's this tech guy, this AI guy, this futurist, <laughs> uh, future strategist, um, talking yeah. about recognizing other people's leadership style. And uh, the reality is, is that's what our role should be. How could the tools, how can AI, how can ChatGPT, how can MidJourney, how can we do all these things that could help us become better at doing what we should be doing rather than, you know, just doing the same thing over and over again? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've got to always commend on your adaptability. You really are amazing. You're, I mean, you've been adaptable since day one and you haven't stopped at all. So congratulations on that. Yeah. And I was a little worried when you talked about after 35, by the way, when you went through that after 35, everything's weird. I, I was going to ask you what happens when you're after 70. Yeah, yeah. No, but you're unique, man. You're a unique guy. And, and, and I think that not most people are like you. Um, but also, again, if we keep coming back down to it, and all my latest research is moving towards our ability to think about how we think and then engaging with these new technologies and AI with a new perspective of how to engage. Because, it, you know, and organizations ask me to come and talk to them about AI, come and talk to them about future strategies, and I keep coming back to them and saying, guys, nobody really knows, one, Two, what I tell you today will be defunct and out of date in two months, six months. So it's not so much about the technology. It's about the system that you create for yourself to engage with these changing technologies because the convergence of these technologies is only beginning today. It's only starting. So the weirdness of what's going to happen over the next five, seven, eight, ten years is going to be super weird for all of us. It's not just you. And so our approach to it, the thinking about your thinking, becomes by far the most important thing that we could be focusing in on. Yeah, I've got a question about immortality, John. Right. So we talked about AI's ability to help us cure certain diseases. Um, right. There's this concept of digital twins that's out there. And right. There's actually a company mm -hmm. in California. They actually use it at some funeral services where you lose a loved one. Uh, if you if you feed the AI enough information about your loved one, it can actually create a digital twin. So yes, you know, mom right. or dad pass away, and you know you yeah. have one of those moments where you're like, "Gosh, I really wish I could talk with mom or dad." Yeah, you could talk to the digital twin that's created of them. Yeah. When you think about yeah. the future, is there going to <laughs> yeah. be a way where our consciousness can continue mm. to live on in the future in some capacity? What does that look like? Well, I think it's a great question. And I think everybody's got their own idea about the afterlife, about our souls and about our consciousness. I'll just share with you my own specific one, which I understand that many people might not share, but that's okay. Um, why would your consciousness want to apply itself to earth again when there must be a limitless number of timelines and planets and experiences out there? The, the idea that our consciousness should be stored here and experienced here is based on our own naivete and our own experience of this reality based on our five senses. 
And anything that doesn't fit into the art senses, what we do with outside of the five senses is what we do is we delete, distort, and generalize it. We boo-boo it. We're like, ah, that's rubbish. That's an idiot. Because it just doesn't fit into our own construct of understanding, which is limiting to ourselves. Now, I have done 60 ayahuasca ceremonies. I've done many shamanic ceremonies with magic mushrooms in San Pedro. I've, I've moved into that world of psychedelics and accessing different timelines and different realities in many ways through a process of changing brainwaves and going through the process of shamanic work. And I've got to be honest with you is that it's really good here on earth. I mean, if you're, if you're having a good life, it's a good time, but it's quite limiting. And we don't realize how limiting it is because that's all we've ever known as a consciousness. And I think it's important that we've only ever known this as a consciousness because we then stay alive. Because I think if we knew the possibilities of what was out there, we would don't want to be here. There must be better things out there. We're just here in a process of evolution of our souls in many ways. So is there digital twins? Absolutely. Is there an opportunity to extend our lives to 150, 200 plus? Absolutely. Do we want to keep our consciousness here because it wants to experience this because it's all we know? I think that's a bit short-sighted, to be honest. And if you do some shamanic work and some altered state work, which I recommend everybody do, you'll realize that there's many, many, many t a limitless number of other lives and experiences out there. And this is, again, quantum science is proving to us. It's not just some lentil-eating, sandal-wearing, man-bun person with baggy pants talking. This is quantum science that now is starting to prove this stuff, you know? Absolutely. And that was, I, I mean, that's the most brilliant answer I've ever heard to that question. And it gets right back to quantum mania talking about multiverse and, and all the various yeah. experiences as well. But uh, before we um, get to our lightning round here in just a few minutes, I can't believe that we're already to that point, John, this has been so brilliant and it's gone <laughs> by so quickly. But before we get to that, Ira has a question yeah. that we always love to ask our guests before we get into the lightning round. So, sure. so, John, and again, I want to thank everybody for hanging out today. I mean, we, we've had an incredibly active chat. There's a lot of questions. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can get those sent to you, and maybe you can engage and, and get some answers sure. for some people. And I'm sure this is just the beginning. Uh, by the way, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, our 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 typical spot is doing our our Geek Skeezers and Googleization live uh, on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. And we, Jason and I, are going to do one, but we're going to do a follow up to this. So we're going to continue this conversation. So hope everybody can can join us. And uh, if you're available, John, you can chime in. But final question. Um, we always ask. There's so much that we didn't cover. What's something that you hoped we would have covered that we didn't? Um, you know, what usually happens in these discussions, we focus on technology in the future. But... I have brought in the most important topic that I wanted to cover, which is hardware change, which is the neuroscience. And so I forced that onto the conversation because I think it's very, very important to actually speak about. So you have asked fantastic questions, but I've had to weave in my latest research around that. So no, I'm very happy with what we've spoken about. And if anything, we need to speak more about our ability to elevate and change our consciousness to meet this future and what it needs from us. Well, it seems like everyone agrees um, with that because I, I see quotes here, bring, bring John back, great guest, best guest you ever had. Uh, and so we'd love to have you back at some point. I know you're, you. You, you told you. us uh, before the show, you're going to be doing a tour of the uh, U.S., U.S. partial tour of the U.S. over the summer. But yes. we'd love to have you back yes. and focus on the neuroscience. 
if, if Thank you'll you. be so kind and, and be able to do that. I would love that. You have an I open invitation. If you want to join, whenever Thank you want you to so join much, us, John, you tell us, we'll make that schedule. Uh, but I, I'm going to turn it back to Jason for a little bit, and we're going to learn a little bit more about uh, John Sanai. <laughs> Great. That's right. So we're going to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level here, John. So question number one, what is the thing about the future that excites you the most? Is it, I'm just throwing out a few examples, curing diseases, uh, tr the way we'll tr do transportation, bringing back extinct animals. What's the particular thing that just really gets you super excited about the future? The possibility of aliens landing. For me, that's the most exciting thing that any of us could ever experience is to meet another species of intelligence. And I think we're close because I do think that the news media has since 2020, mid 2020 started to put it into the media. If you realize that all of a sudden American generals and Pentagon were agreeing to it and the Israeli general was accepting it and the Canadian minister was saying, yes, this has actually happened. All of a sudden, our consciousness is now starting to expect it in many ways. Where 10 years ago, you think you'd be crazy talking about these things. So for me, the engagement with new species and new consciousness for me is by far the most exciting thing because I think they'll bring with them a lot of knowledge that we don't have and a lot of access to new ideas and new ways of doing things that we don't have currently. So that's my exciting future like, expectation. I love it. And that was one of the things I had on my short list that I wanted to cover today. So maybe the next time we right. have you on, we can dive into that even more too. But how about okay, question number sure. two here? If there's one person in the history of the world that you could spend the day with, who would it be? Wow. Uh, that's a big question. I've never been asked that actually. Um, I would think it would be Einstein or Tesla, maybe Tesla. Maybe Tesla. He got uh, taken out far too early. And I think he had some uh, secrets that many people don't want to get out. And uh, he was already dealing with quantum science much earlier than any of us uh, have even understood to this day yet. So I would think it would be Nikolai Tesla. Awesome. And then how about uh, a favorite song or a favorite musical artist? And that's a great question. And, you know, I, I speak about this, the fact that Spotify has gotten us to the point where we don't listen to musicians anymore. We listen to genres. And I am into genres now. And I listen to a specific type of genre that is quite melodic, has got a simple bass beat to it. But, you know, that's the type of music I listen to. I have no idea who sings it anymore. And this is what happens when technology commoditizes a sector. You don't know who you're watching. You know, it's not that relevant to who you're listening to. It's the type of music that's setting your mood. So, I mean, I used to be certain bands, but today my playlist on Spotify is my favorite musician. Very cool. And then how about uh, if, if you could go back in time and go back maybe like to high school and what would be something that uh, high school classmates would be surprised to see about you now? Let me tell you, I was a terrible student. I got expelled. I got, I mean, it was just chaos. I come from a single mom family. I had no dad around. My mom was working. I was left to my own devices and I got up to no good. The fact that I'm alive and I've got half my brains with me, I'm very, very lucky. So all my friends at school, when they see me, they're like, how? Like you couldn't even pass school. You've written nine books. Like you teach at university, like you're the absolute last person that was going to move into the state of teaching governments and academia about anything because all I wanted to do was get out of school. And so it's the weirdest thing because I've kind of gone, I've done a 180 flip. And what I always comment to, to students that I work with is the educational system was built for 25% of the human population. The other 75% made up. 
and had to try harder. And I was on the far scale of the other 25% right on the end, which was detesting fitting in. And my whole brand today is fitting out. And so you can understand that I was just so frustrated at school. And so I get a constant number of Facebook messages and Instagram messages from friends from school with a, always starting off with how, what, you doing what? So it's been very interesting to have that experience. I love that. And you are the perfect example of evolving and adapting. The, the Darwin of the human species, helping us continue to evolve and adapt over time, which is awesome. We can't thank, thank you. you enough for being with us today, John. Um, we, we've got the banner for those who are watching, scrolling at the bottom in terms of learning about John's work, johnsonai.com, S-A-N-E-I.com. What are some other ways people can follow you and get in touch with your work, John? Well, the luck, the luck of the world would have it that I'm the only John Sane in the world. So I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, uh, I'm on a podcast called The Expansive. So join me across all of them. I'm constantly sharing, as Ira said. Uh, I, I feel like I need to constantly share because it opens up space for more. So I'm constantly putting stuff out. So please join me on the journey, and I'd love to hear from you across all the social channels. As a human being, I'm trying to find the mute button here. <laughs> I'm mute myself. John, I, it, it's great to see you again. Uh, obviously, you're Thank you're you. in my life almost every day, and you know, following things. <laughs> and you. I appreciate the insights you have. I guarantee you have a lot of new fans. You're gonna have a lot of new followers, and that that wasn't just a a uh, an idle invitation or uh, just uh, it, it, serious. Um, when I'd love to get you back on on the calendar. Uh, and talk about okay. neuroscience, and uh, we we got a lot of people asking, so uh, appreciate awesome. it, and and continue to be safe, and hopefully we can actually meet uh, in person after uh, so many after so many when you're back in the states. I would love that. Thank you so much, Jens, and thank you to everybody listening. It's been wonderful to be here. Ciao. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Hey, I, I'm not even sure what we can say uh, other than uh, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, this will be ongoing. Uh, but tomorrow, Wednesday, May, March 8th, 1 p.m., uh, our live, our, our regular Geek Skeezers and Googleization live uh, will be Jason and myself. We're going we're gonna to pick up on some of the themes that we talked about today. Uh, and uh, hopefully that uh, many of you will be there. Uh, if there's any questions, uh, we'll make sure we'll try to get some, some of the answers back from John. Uh, but please follow him. Uh, he obviously, you understand why why he was here today and why I kept building him up. And he literally is the only John Sinai in the world. Which is incredible. But we, we want to thank you all for joining with us today. If this is your first time checking out Geek Skeezers Googleization, I would love if you do us a favor. Uh, we are a podcast as well. So not just a live stream uh, through Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn, but we're also podcasts. So subscribe. Uh, we bring out the latest, freshest content like John today every week. Uh, on the future of work to help you prepare uh, for tomorrow in this ever-changing world. So uh, we'd love if you would do that. You can also check us out at geekskeezersgoogleization.com for more information. But until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Special thanks to the Y Institute for partnering with us and sponsoring the episode. Thank you, everyone, uh, for hanging out with us for about 60 minutes or so today. Uh, I hope it, it didn't, it, from the comments, it certainly didn't disappoint. Uh, and please connect with uh, John Sanai, uh, S-A-N-E-I, or follow him on uh, LinkedIn or check out his website or any of the other social media that he's on. Uh, and until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.